Hello, and welcome to the Foothills Deeper Pod, a podcast for all of us who are looking to bring just a little more love and a little more courage into our daily lives. I'm Reverend Gretchen, and I am so glad to be here with you today as your host for today's episode. I am a big fan of the podcast. Usually I just get to listen in or drop in, and it's always a treat when I get to sit here in the host chair and introduce the topic for today. So to get us started, I actually want to tell a little story. It's from when I served in a different congregation than Foothills a while back. It was when I was just getting started as a Unitarian Universalist minister. I was leading a series of small group sessions where we were exploring Unitarian Universalist spirituality and spirituality more broadly and how we go about constructing a spiritual life and a better understanding of our own theology. So it was a big mixed group of people associated with the congregation. So brand new folks all the way to long time you use. And on that day, we just happened to be talking about the idea of prayer, exploring what prayer could mean as Unitarian Universalists. And Right at the top, I just invited people to share a little bit about their own explorations and struggles or questions or practices around prayer. And one of the folks there, she was pretty new to the congregation, maybe had been two or three times before. She raised her hand and she said, you know, I have something I I really, I've been wanting to share with the group. And that is, I really... I've really been struggling lately. I've been looking for help and answers. And I just, I've never grown up with traditional religious practice or spirituality. All this is totally new. And so I decided one night that I I was just going to Google like help (laughs) and spiritual help as I was just, I was feeling in such crisis and I didn't know where to turn. And she said, what came up was a, a prayer line. And it was like, I could call this number and they would just pray for me. And I thought, well, I mean, I, I'm so desperate. I don't even know what that means, but I really am looking for some help. So I decided to call it. And so I called and I told them a little bit about what I was struggling with. And they offered a lot of comfort. And then they said, so are you ready now to receive Jesus into your heart? And I could feel the room in that moment kind of take a take a gasp of, of as if preparing themselves to be offended with this person who was telling the story, to, to feel defensive with her. Like as if this very question was an attack rather than uh, an act of spiritual care. And instead she said, and I told them, sure, why not? Let's try it. And then they proceeded to pray with me and for me And I just felt surrounded in love and care and presence. And even though it wasn't what I believed, it it really touched something in me that I hadn't been able to find anywhere else. The room let out a big, a big sigh, a big exhale together. And I could feel a lot of questions in the room, unspoken questions. Because I think for a lot of Unitarian Universalists, this, these traditional notions around Christianity and Jesus can stir up some assumptions and prejudices about what people mean or do not mean. And a lot of that times that's rooted in 
uh, in past injury that people have experienced, real injury that people have experienced in traditional Christianity and within their ways of origin. My anxiety in that moment was that people would respond to her in the room by putting up some boundaries around the fact that she expressed a positive sense of this experience, which therefore might mean she didn't fit with our Unitarian Universalist setting. But what, what I thought after she told this story, I thought, wow, that is such a Unitarian Universalist response she had. To be able to meet that question with a true openness, without defensiveness, and with a willingness to just see what truth and goodness was there and available without judgment, judgment of herself, judgment of others, and to instead just, just receive it as possible. And, and in that receiving, it's possible she might have said, no, not, not for me, or that I, just, I didn't experience that comfort. But instead, she was able to receive an overwhelming sense of love, as she said, and comfort that she hadn't been able to receive anywhere else. To me, this is, as I said, an ideal expression of what Unitarian Universalism can be. I wanted to start with this story because the sermon I'm going to be sharing with you explores both what it means to be a community that's able to meet truth in all its varieties and what the limits are of that exploration and that meeting and that welcome. That is what it means to be an intentionally diverse religious community and where we place limits on that diversity because all diversity does ultimately have to contend with where its limits are. And doing that with some intention helps us from inadvertently setting limits on our diversity that actually are are too narrow, as was my fear in that, that story. Let's take a listen. In the late 1990s and really the early 2000s, Bishop Carlton Pearson experienced a divine revelation, or at least that's how he described it. He was, up until that time, a highly successful evangelical pastor at one of the area's largest evangelical congregations and a rising star nationally. But all of that changed when Bishop Pearson came to believe there was no such thing as hell. After a career of preaching traditional Pentecostal Christianity, Bishop Pearson realized he believed instead in universal salvation, that is, traditional universalism. You might have heard his story on This American Life, the series they called Heretics, a few years back. So when Bishop Pearson told his church of this revelation from God and invited them to explore it with him and then started preaching on universalism, he was very clear and he was filled with passion in all the ways he had been up until that point. And ultimately, this revelation cost him his church. He was excommunicated 
his church shrank and then he went into foreclosure and then he and the small remaining group of people, a relatively small group of people, just weren't sure what, what they should do. Which is when the Reverend Marlon Lavenhar, senior minister at All Souls Unitarian Universalist Church, nearby where Bishop Pearson served in Tulsa, Oklahoma, called him up and invited him and his remaining congregants, who are now all identifying as Universalists, to come into community and fellowship with the people of All Souls. What started as just like a few visits gradually shifted until the people of Bishop Pearson's community all decided to become members at All Souls Tulsa. There was no official merger of the congregations and the, just the new members, they felt welcome and in community, in covenant. So it went that a mostly black Pentecostal Universalist church became integrated with a mostly white Unitarian Universalist congregation. As you probably guessed, it was not an easy process. As Marlin said later, at first I thought I was going to lose my mind. I was so excited. And then I thought I was going to lose my ministry because of all the controversy that it stirred up. Holding diversity in community is not a simple or well-honed practice in our culture. We are much better at hanging out with people who think like we do, who share our cultural norms, our vocabulary, who come to the same basic conclusions and use the same tools to make meaning as we do. The people in our bubble, you might say, or even our tribe. It's why it can take such a long time to explain what it means to be a Unitarian Universalist and what we mean by religion. This idea of intentionally welcoming diversity within a single religious community and to be gathered not by creed, but by covenant, this is a totally new idea to a lot of people. The Reverend Tom Belote describes about a time that he shared he, um, about Unitarian Universalism when he was attending a public protest. A couple of reporters approached him. They were from a religious magazine. They wanted an interview. And so he told them he was a Unitarian Universalist minister. And they asked him how to spell that. And then they asked, what do you use belief? He explained that we are a covenantal congregation, a covenantal faith. And he described how that means that we share promises of how we will be together, not a creed of how we must believe together. He says that's when the questions really began. So, does your church believe in the Bible, they asked. Tom's response, that's a creedal question. We are a covenantal congregation. We share a, co a covenant of how we try to be together, not what we are expected to believe together. Does your church even believe in God, they asked. Well, that's a creedal question, he responded. We are a covenantal faith. We share a covenant of how we try to be together and not what we are expected to believe together. This went back and forth for a while. Maybe you, if you have tried to explain Unitarian Universalism to another person that's new to it, but have had a similar experience. 
people can get very confused. It's a new idea for a lot of people. But this way of being religious is not actually new at all. We trace our roots back to the beginning of Unitarianism and Universalism, which both started as Christian heresies. Unitarianism, that is the heresy that says there's no trinity, as in God is one. Unitarian, it in turn emphasizes the humanity rather than the divinity of Jesus. And universalism, that is the heresy that Bishop Pearson came to believe, that's the heresy of the na- that the nature of God is love. And a loving God would not, could not damn any of God's people to hell. Another way I've heard it said is that Unitarianism is that affirmation that we all share the same source. And Universalism is that affirmation that we share the same destiny. All of us share the same source and we share the same destiny. The root of the word heretic, by the way, simply means to choose. To be a heretic is to choose. And over the centuries, our faith being a community that believes that people should get to choose their beliefs created our whole tradition where we affirm that there are many different valid choices that people might make in their beliefs. And after all, beliefs are not as important as behaviors. That is the ways we treat each other. As Unitarian Francis David is said to have said in the 16th century, we need not think alike to love alike. Discerning what it means to love alike, that is, and then learning how to do that. I mean, learning how to love in service of and in partnership with love itself. This, this is our whole religious practice, learning how and then actually loving alike. As the Reverend Victoria Safford puts it, the central question for us is not what do we believe, but more what are we committed to? To what larger love, people, principles, values, and dreams shall we be committed? To whom and to what are we accountable? Our answers to these questions allow us to discover the limits of our diversity, which sometimes people struggle with because they wonder if it is hypocritical or at least inconsistent to say we welcome difference, but then set limits on it. It reminds me of this cartoon that the Reverend Robert Latham used to use as an example whenever he'd preach on diversity. He'd, he'd talk about this cartoon from Hagar the Horrible. Do you remember it? Hagar the Horrible. It's about Vikings. Well, this one cartoon, it would show this, the Vikings all in a boat rowing. And some of the Vikings would use one end of the paddle while they were, while they're, while they're rowing. And then the other Vikings would use the other end and some would paddle really fast and some were paddling really slow, some really deep, some really narrow, narrow. And the boat, as you can imagine, is sitting motionless despite lots of Viking activity. And the caption below the cartoon has the one Viking saying to the other one that's calling out all the instructions. He says, will you please stop saying different strokes 
for different folks. Clarifying what we hold in common rather than simply talking about our differences allows us a deeper sense of belonging, identity, and purpose. It transforms us from a bunch of individuals into an actual community. And it's also a way of creating a sense of safety while we are navigating all this difference. Since if you engage diversity differences for real, it is often very uncomfortable and really complicated, especially in a world filled with so much loneliness and isolation, pairing our embrace of diversity with limits on that diversity can be a real gift. And it can galvanize us to better understand and use our power, not just within, but beyond our community. This is what happened in 2016 when we adopted our mission statement, which in full says, we unleash courageous love in Northern Colorado and beyond by embracing our diversity, growing our faith, and awakening our spirits to the unfolding meaning of this life. Now, while the majority of people in 2016 and the people since then have really loved this mission statement, really felt aligned with it, some people just didn't. And at a certain point, some of those folks, that lack of alignment was significant enough, they decided to leave Foothills, which to be clear, if you know me at all, I, I never want anyone to leave. And at the same time, when it happened, I actually feel really proud because it meant that we were getting clearer about who we are and who we aren't and how we need to organize ourselves for a greater common purpose. It's like that declaration that all churches make everywhere where they say, we welcome all. Many churches say it, but I mean, really, how many actually mean it? None. None of them mean it. And really, that's okay. Because there is literally no way that every community can be for every person. Even in a community like ours that is invested in the widest possible welcome, we aren't for everyone. Because we do, we still pair our diversity with limits. One of my colleagues a few years ago suggested an alternative phrase. We welcome all who welcome all. I like this a lot. It gets to the heart of our covenantal way. And then it makes clear what's you, what unites us. It says that we are a community that rejoices in diversity and who understand that the limits of diversity are only when diversity itself is limited. Let's say that again. The limits of diversity are only when diversity itself is limited. Which means that our church and our church we are just as invested in the strange and beautiful practice and truth that serves our neighbors as we are in the language and practice, strange or beautiful, that serves us. It means that we center humility and curiosity 
and the very hard practice of changing our minds. It also means that the people who can't do this, who, who insist that their way is the best way, the, the right way, the only way, these folks don't tend to hang around our churches very often. Our covenant of right relations, our new member welcome, both affirm that in our congregation, we know we're not always going to get our own way. And that's a good thing because it means that we are a part of an intentionally diverse community. This distinction between we welcome all and we welcome all who welcome all played out regularly in the experiment at All Souls Tulsa over this last 15 years. Because it turns out that Black Pentecostal Universalists understand and express their beliefs about the holy in very different ways than white Unitarian Universalists. And so the question became, which of these differences could the community absorb? And which could it not? What were the true limits of their diversity? So a few months into the integration of these communities, Marlin shared a story about one of his longtime members coming to talk to him. As he tells it, he was, quote, a longtime white member of the church, a staunch humanist, a lawyer, about 60 years old. And he said, Marlin, I got to tell you something that I would have never told anyone in the church. He said, I grew up Pentecostal. And to this day, I still speak in tongues. Marlin says, he tried not to look too surprised, but he was shocked. He asked, how often? And then the man said, probably about once or twice a week. He described it as a kind of meditation that allowed his mind to rest. Marlon says, once I got over my initial, initial disbelief, and quietly checked my own prejudices, I was struck hardest by realizing that this is a central part of his spiritual life, and he had spent 30 years in our congregation and has never felt like he could tell anyone in our church without being judged negatively and maybe even feel made to feel like he was an outsider. And he was right. Marlon goes on to say it was a pretty stark condemnation of me and my community that he felt he had to keep his truth and his spirituality in the closet in order to feel welcomed in our church. I'm, I'm pretty confident that we have our version of these prejudices. We have our ways of implicitly or maybe explicitly telling people they're not welcome or parts of them are not welcome or certain ways of seeking the holy or not our thing here, ways we fail to make difference, space for difference that would otherwise enrich us and challenge us and maybe make us uncomfortable, sure, but also help us better see and better love more of life in all of its unfathomable diversity. As with all covenants, we fall short on our promise to welcome all who welcome all over and over, which is okay. It's part of the deal. As long as we remember that the other part of the deal is the ongoing hard work of repair and change and growth and beginning again in love. 
It's a practice that became even more important when we look at the other major challenge All Souls has faced in its integration. A challenge not entirely disconnected from the, other, from the first one, which was, of course, their, quite the question of their capacity to hold racial diversity. Even though by then, 50 years had passed since debates about integration in congregations, and there were certainly no bylaws or other rules prescribing segregation at work at Hall Souls, whiteness and white supremacy were very much alive in their system and in their mindset, so much so that they often didn't even see it as such. For example, they struggled to accept the praise music that the newer members preferred or their appreciation of Jesus. They don't really think of this as a racial justice issue, but as Marlon later said to the UU World, quote, there is an African-American experience of God that has been molded and shaped by slavery, lynching, Jim Crow, and persistent racism. It is an experience of God that involves Jesus. It includes a certain way of moving and singing and talking back in church. He went on to remind us that their new members don't, weren't trying to say that theirs was the only way. It just was their way in, profoundly shaped by their history and culture. And he said, if we can't accept that experience in our church, then we are not living by what we say. And so their community had to take a hard and honest look at themselves and do that work of answering those questions that Victoria Safford posed when she said, to what larger love, people, principles, values, and dreams shall we be committed? And they realized the purpose of their church was not to sing classic traditional Unitarian hymns or to ensure everyone remained silent in the pews or even to make everyone feel really comfortable. The purpose was to take hold of people just like them and change them, liberate them and our faith into a truly multiracial, multicultural community, a mission that they later described as loving beyond belief. The purpose of every diverse, every religious community including a diverse one like ours, is not neutral. The purpose is always transformation, it's growth, and change. Change in the direction of more and more love. The purpose is still as it was 50, 60, 70, 100, 200 years ago, the purpose is always to grab hold of us personally and also collectively and shake loose our prejudices and release us into a greater freedom, a greater love for us all. Amen and blessed be. This is one of my favorite topics to explore in Unitarian Universalist congregational life because I actually think it's one of the questions we have to wrestle with in human community, period. Difference is a fact of human existence, and we all 
in our families and our neighborhoods and our schools just just by being a human we have to figure out what what are the limits of that diversity that we can take in and hold within ourselves and so i think it's a relevant question both for our congregations and our religious practice but also it's just a relevant question for being human especially these days where so often people are placing extremely narrow limits on what is acceptable. I think the ideal form of religion and the goal of a spiritual life as the journey of learning to love more and more of the world, to hold more and more of the world's paradox in ourselves. And so if that's true, then is the work ultimately to move towards being able to hold diversity without limits? Or is, the, is there a place that is an inevitable ethical end to what we can and should hold within ourselves? And what does that mean exactly? So that's a big philosophical question on a more practical level. I invite you to go back to that story I told at the top of the podcast about the woman from my congregation who shared the story about calling the prayer line. And then just imagine that someone is asking you that question on the prayer line. Would you like to receive Jesus into your heart? Or maybe it's not Jesus. Maybe for you it's, would you like to receive someone from a different political party into your heart? Or would you like to receive grief and the lessons of grief into your heart? Or would you like to receive anger and rage into your heart? Or would you like to receive vulnerability and intimacy into your heart? What, what I'm getting at is, you know, what is the thing that, that you would find difficult to say yes to that question. And then I invite you to just just practice what it feels like to say yes and to receive and to sit with that thing, even just for a, a few moments each day. Because that thing, whatever it is that you're resisting, that you would like to say no to, that person, that idea, that feeling, that is the thing that is keeping your heart just a little more defended, a little more rigid. And our work in this, this world, in this life, I believe, is to grow supple hearts. That's a Parker Palmer term. To make our hearts more supple, more soft, more tender. And so it can be a practice just to find that thing that you, you want to put up your arm and be defended against. With that, I'm going to end just with a poem from the spiritual teacher, Rumi, called The Guest House. This being human is a guest house. Every morning, a new arrival. A joy, a depression, a meanness. Some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all. 
even if they're a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture, still treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice. Meet them at the door, laughing, and invite them in. Be grateful for whoever comes, because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. That brings us to the end of our podcast for today. Thank you so much for listening. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the limits of diversity, the diversity in community, diversity in life and in your heart. Please reach out to us at deeperpod at foothillsuu.org or leave us a review and share the episode with people who you think might enjoy We want to thank those of you who are supporters of Foothills as you make this podcast possible. If you would like to help us continue to experiment with things like the Deeper Pod, you can go to foothillsuu.org forward slash give and make a donation today. We are always grateful for your partnership and look forward to continuing the conversation on our podcast and far beyond. Hey!